This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. I believe that we stand on the shoulders of greatness. I believe that any of us doing anything anywhere, we're only able to do these things because somebody came before us to lay the foundation. And in many ways, when I think about this woman whose name was codified, when Tina Marie says, you know, she's listing off a group of people who are dynamic and Nikki Giovanni, just to name a few. She's here. She's got a new collection of poetry, but I am so excited to hear about what she thinks about this period of time in history because she's lived through a lot. Let me welcome to the Karen Hunter Show, back to the Karen Hunter Show, Nikki Giovanni. Welcome. Oh, thank you, Professor. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> professor, be here. back at you. All right. So, so I, I've said that they're going to circle this period, not just because of the pandemic, in history, 100 years from now, they're going to be studying what is happening right now. Mm-hmm. You've lived through iterations of movements. How would you categorize where we are in terms of this country globally and history? Well, I, I, I was saying, you know, to my students this morning, I, I'm still teaching. One, there's always tomorrow. So we have to look forward to tomorrow. And of course, um, we have to vote. Everybody has to has to vote because we have to get rid of Trump one way or another. And voting is the better way to get rid of him. So that needs to change. We need uh, we need we need better leadership than we have. I'm so proud and so pleased, of course, to see that uh, uh, Senator Harris is on the ticket and will be helping to to create some some ideas of where America should go. But I I am even more proud, if I may say it that way, of uh, Black Lives Matter. Because the, the young women who put Black Lives Matter together went around the world. Everybody, when Mr. Mr. Uh, Floyd uh, was, was murdered, everybody in the world, all the way to Australia, Perth, Australia, which I couldn't believe, uh, joined Black Lives Matter in protesting the death of, not, not just the death of this one particular man, but the way America is looking at the world and treating the world. So uh, I, I think, you know, you don't want to be overly cheerful. I don't, uh, I don't think that everything's going to be all right in the morning. But I think that as we have come through, we've come through, what, 300 years? So getting through another 300, we'll be all right. We'll make it. We'll make it. Okay. So Tennessee, you grew up in Tennessee. I, I have a conversation every Saturday with a brother from Tennessee, Dr. Greg Carr from Howard University, and he speaks highly of you. Talk, talk about growing up in Tennessee and what you had to endure. We were talking today about being your authentic self and that it is time for black people to show up with our black excellence in every space that we're in. And in many ways so that white folk can get used to what it looks like. You know, we spend so much time folding ourselves into these little tiny spaces to make them comfortable. That it's time for us to show them what it looks like to show up as our full black authentic self so they can get used to it. What are your thoughts on that? My my basic thought is that our, our audience is not white people, and and I think that that's been if if there's been one mistake, in in my opinion, of the last fifty to maybe seventy years, it has been that we have addressed the audience of white people as if somehow or another they had something to do with who we are and what we do. It's it's really time that we talked to ourselves, and um. I, I wrote a poem, uh, and I've written others too, but I wrote a poem that said, in some state, 
because we forget the courage and, and the vision of the black people who in slavery did not run. They stayed and they, they planted their okra and they planted their corn and they learned how to fry a chicken. But after slavery, more importantly, after slavery, even though there was a lot of brutality and white people could be incredibly brutal, as we all know, they didn't run. They stayed and they built, they built communities. They made, they made houses. They built churches. They built schools. I'm, I'm a Fisk University graduate. Uh, Senator Harris is a, um, uh, is at a federal oh. school, graduated from a federal school. She graduated from Howard. But they stayed. And it's the people who stayed the people who, the, we, who we have to talk to. It, it's not trying to get white people to understand us or to be nice to us, because if white people would, would behave themselves, almost none of this would happen. It, we, we're not in their community, you know, uh, lynching them and burning their, 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 their houses down. We're not there blowing their churches up. We're not going into a, a Wednesday night prayer meeting and shooting them. So that's something that, that white people need to say to each other. We are a great people, and we need to pay attention to our history. And I think that that's, that's the most important thing. Who's our audience? It should be us. We forget we need to talk to ourselves. We need to talk to each other, and we need to remind each other that, that we're pretty wonderful. Is that the impetus for Make Me Rain? Make Me Rain is a new book. Uh, beautiful. You look amazing on the cover. Uh, and you, <laughs> you. you say, Make Me Rain, Turn Me Into a Snowflake. I don't even want to put words to it. I don't even want to put my voice on on these words. Can you can you give us a couple of stanzas of "Make Me Rain"? Oh, I I love "Make Me Rain" uh, for a lot of reasons. It actually is a love poem because, like like all poets, you know, I'm always falling in love. But as an older woman, and I recommend "Old Age," by the way, for for anybody who's being young in there right now and saying, "Oh my goodness, you know, it's really difficult," because it is. I would rather be 77 than 17. And, and that's the truth, because at 17, you're really not sure who you are, how you're going. I mean, it's a whole bunch of stuff. But this is a, a it's, it's a love poem, but it's a love poem also not just, it is one to a person, but it's also to a people. Make me rain. Turn me into a snowflake. Let me rest on your tongue. Make me a piece of ice so I can cool you. Let me be the cloud that embraces you or the quilt that keeps you dry. Snuggle close, hasten to listen to me sing on the windowsill. Make me rain on you. And we know that you, you can't have, there is no life without rain. You have to have, the two things you have to have, you have to have a, a, an egg, as we all know. And I'm always amazed that men have discussions, which I don't know why they do, because they don't have anything to do with it. Men have discussions about whether or not women should, should in fact, uh, have, have, have control of their own bodies because we're the ones with the A. They, they're, they're just the ones with the A beaters. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and I always say, but it's true. It, it, it's a whole lot more fun, you know, getting pregnant than it is having the baby. And there are other issues because there's probably not a woman, a black woman on earth that hasn't heard a man. Almost in exactly that. When she, honey, I'm a hey, man, and and all of that is is childish and ignorance. And it's time that black men, again, started to talk to black women, started to take responsibility of loving us in the way that we have loved them, 
and we always have. We've never turned our back on them. There is, though, right now, we're in a period um, where some would argue that there is an assault on black men by black women, that there's a fissure. Um, I am standing firmly in the camp that uh, we're not here. We're not going to entertain any of that because it's it's myth mythology on some level. There are some vestiges of it, but I'm seeing a lot of toxic back and forth around this. And the one thing we cannot do is that like we need each other to get to the next place together. Uh, it's disturbing. I, I couldn't agree more that we need each other. And when we look back into slavery, you know, you never had a black man in slavery hit a black woman. You never had him turn his back on her. We we were together and we need to be, I couldn't agree more, together now. I saw that uh, uh, R. Kelly got beaten up in prison. Well, R. Kelly, oh, no, you can't be bothering having sex with 14-year-old girls. He should know better than that. And I'm not saying that he needs to get beaten up. But he wouldn't be in prison if he would understand that he only has two organs that are significant. One is his brain and the other is his penis. And he needs to take care of both of them. You just can't be throwing them around. And I, th I think that showing off to a bunch of other people, to a bunch of white guys who don't really care at all about you, this is what I'm saying. You can, you can only love those people who love you. And that's what's incredibly incredibly important because people lose track of that people lose track of oh this is my friend this is my mother this is my grandmother this is a woman that i have loved whatever it is you have to be there for because she has been there for you i love you nikki giovanni so tell me what your process is you know uh those of us who are creative and i don't put myself in that category with with you because that uh, is a whole other level of creativity. What, what makes you do a make me rain uh, whole book? You know, what, what inspires you to get up every day and do that? And what's your process? Oh, I like writing. And uh, the only real skill I have, if I could say it like that, are words. And so words are important. The book, and I, I don't know if I can show it to you, that I am so proud of. I'm, I'm holding it up. I don't know if you can see it. It's, yes, called, it's called Standing in the Need of Prayer. And I wrote this because of the murder, going all the way back to the murder of Trayvon uh, Martin. And I wrote this to let black men know that we love them, that we are with them. Because uh, speaking as a mother, I have a son. Speaking as a mother, there's nothing worse than thinking about burying your child. You do not want to do that. Just something you don't want to do. And I think about it, I look out my window uh, now, fall is coming, winter will soon be here. I like winter, because winter is a snuggle. You know, you, you always snuggle in the winter. In the spring, you get out and you start your garden and, you know, your fish come up out of the, uh, out of the, have a little fish pond. And uh, Mother Robin lays her blue eggs and they're really beautiful. But in the winter, you, you, you take all of the little leftovers. You take uh, the, the, the leftover uh, pot roast that you have you know, whatever you've got, you make a soup and, and, and you, you sit around and you read good books, I hope. And, and I have a granddaughter. And so that's, that's doubly nice because, you know, she'll come over and she'll say, you know, what are we cooking today? And you cook with your granddaughter. What I do is try to write about things that make me happy. And what I want to do is to remind black Americans of how wonderful we are, because I think we do not hear that enough from each other. I think we just are in the habit 
saying what's wrong with us. And there's nothing wrong with us. There's something wrong with a lot of people, but not us. We are a, a, a good, no, we are good people. Everybody in the world sings our song. Everybody in the world dances as we dance. And most people cook as we cook. We are, of course, the culinary uh, chefs of America, as you know. And it's really funny, uh, not ha-ha, but as we were enslaved and as we came here and had to learn how to, to, to adjust to some things, you know, the greens, and I've always liked this because it's true, White, uh, our, our masters wanted us to cook the greens and in doing that thought that the better part of the greens was the green. You and I know, our grandparents knew, the better part was the pot liquor. And so they would take their greens because that's what they wanted. And we would take the pot liquor. Who got stronger? Who, got, who stayed sane? We did. And it's so, it's so wonderful to watch the growth of black Americans because our growth has been the growth of this nation. And I think that that's easy to forget. I think it's easy to, 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 to put ourselves down, not realizing, we, oh, we were enslaved. Well, everybody's been. There, there, there is no group who has not been enslaved. I don't care where you come from, what length, it doesn't matter. Everybody at some point has been enslaved and we are joining that group. We, we have been enslaved, but we have taken that and we have, have taken it to the world and the world now. You can go to China and hear, hear, hear Chinese rapping. <laughs> That's the truth. You definitely, every, every, every Wednesday in the afternoon, because I listen to a jazz station, every Wednesday, there's a, a, a an app, it's called African Jazz, but one of the great people that we know from South Africa was Hugh Masekela, you know, grazing in the grass. But he learned that from us, but there are so many other things. We have taught the world, and we've taught the world patience. And I, I like that about us. I think that this is a good thing, that we have learned patience. And I'm not picking on black men, but I am reminding them that we have loved you, and we deserve your love. And somebody has to keep saying that to them because somehow or another, there's this idea that in order to show you a man, you have to hit a woman or you have to be running around or something crazy that you don't appreciate the fact that, yeah, I love someone. This is the person I'm going to spend my time with. These are my children. I'm going to do what I can for them. I think that things like that are important. Uh, Professor Giovanni, uh, thank you for all that. I've never been more excited to hopefully one day turn 77, because if I could even just have a percentage of your energy, uh, I think I'll be, I'll be set. But I wanted to ask you, what do you think changes society more, government or culture as a poet? I think that, uh, well, the, I think poets change government more. We're the ones that bring up the ideas. There's been no idea of what people should be that the art community hasn't brought up. I think that it's important though, for, no, not though, I think it's important for all of us to be a part of it. We're here today in front of an election and it's an important election. The Republicans in this election want to tell, and, and it's really black men because black women, as you know, voted 87% of the black women voted. We, we didn't get that, 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 that number from black men because black men are saying, well, it doesn't matter because they don't want to be embarrassed. Mm -hmm. And forget being embarrassed. Go to the poll 
and tell these people, I have a voice. We have a, a man running, and he's going to win because he's running. He's not going to win. He's not running against anybody. And you get that there's a line on your on your ballot. And this is Morgan Griffin. You wouldn't have any way to know him, and God bless you because he's a terrible man. And so I filled in that line on the on the, the simple line, and I said, not this liar. That's what I, and I, I, I hope to hear it. I hope that somebody would. I can't stop Morgan Griffin right now, but I can know, and my vote did. I did vote for Biden, of course, because that's who's on the top of the ticket. And he had enough sense to, to, to ask uh, Kamala Harris if she would run with him, if she would help him. Any, and in all fairness, any man with any sense has to find the right woman. And that's one of the things that, 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 that Biden's first decision as president and I, I, I'm sure he will be, was who he chose for vice president. And any man that has enough sense to choose an intelligent graduate of an HBCU, she's a Howard University graduate, she's a great woman, anybody that has that kind of sense, then you know, I'm going to put my, the government is safer in these hands. Mm, I I agree. <laughs> and I like that you wrote in, you know, because a lot of folk, we get to this place where our ballots are already set and the work is done. As I said, on these airwaves on Wednesday, we're going to get to to work starting to look at candidates for the next year and the next year. We're not going to wait till 2024. You know, if you're not happy with the crew of people that were running in the primary, what were you doing the three previous years? And the work has to be done and we have to be civically engaged. This vote on Tuesday it's step 10, you know, it's not the first step, but it's, it's not even at the top, but we have to do that so that we can get to the holding accountable phase of this thing. Right. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy for all the plans that are out there, but if you're not willing to, to show up to the meetings and let people know what you will and will not put up with and do it in mass, then we can't sit and complain about why the world isn't the way we want it to be when we haven't done anything to change it. So yeah. I, I appreciate that. Uh, not this liar. I have to remember that because there were a couple of people on my ballot that I was like, how did they get on this ballot after researching? But we have the power to put in that. And I thank you for it. Okay. So how are you coveting? I didn't ask you, uh, but I, I know last time you were, you were, you had a little health scare last time you came on the show and I want to know how you're doing. How's everything? Thank you. I, I just, I don't want to say just because I, I guess cancer is never just, but I just had a, uh, about with, I guess it's going to term cancer. And I'm always amazed that I, I truly am that people say I'm fighting cancer and I'm going to beat it. I am not fighting cancer. So for the last um, 10 years or so, cancer and I have lived together. I am living with cancer and I would like to live with cancer for another 10 or 15 years. If I'm, if I'm fortunate, I'm not going to fight anything. I do not have, I have not had an encounter at this point with COVID. But if we, if, if the virus comes to visit, if I wake up one morning and, and, and the little virus is there, I'm going to say, hi, have a seat. Can I get, a, get you a cup of coffee? Make yourself at home. Because there's no point in fighting it. What I'm going to do is try to live with it. And I think that that's important. I think that, mm. that everybody wants to fight something. And some things can't be fought. And, of course, you can't believe Donald Trump. So, you know, you know, one, that he didn't even have it because nobody has died. All of those people, 200 and something thousand people have died, but not one of them in the White House. 
not one. I also don't believe he had it. I, I, uh, for, I know. I agree. What? So, but what do we do I with that? What do we do with well, – hold on, hold on, because there's a larger elephant in the room. Okay. What do we do with a person who is the leader of the free world who may not have had something that has killed now 228,324 Americans and then it was like, I got over it, look at me, it was nothing, and people have died. Like, what do we do with that? We recognize a liar when we hear it. And he's a liar. It's like when he said, and I knew that when he was running for office. Oh, I'm a billionaire. No, damn it. Because billionaires don't say they're li- that they're billionaires. You don't know a person, and I don't know who you know, but you don't know a single person who is rich, who is really rich, who runs around saying I'm rich, because that is a dumb thing to do. You don't know somebody who is smart, who runs around saying I'm really smart, because if you're really smart, people will recognize that. So Trump is a liar anyway, no matter what. You talk about rain. I wrote a love poem on rain, but I would love to write a, a poem where the ice just comes down. It mm. just takes him on down. <laughs> <laughs> I would. That would be fun. So, <laughs> so I usually ask this question, but I don't have to ask this of you. Like, where did you get your freedom papers is when I, when I ask people. But I feel like you've been free a very long time, Nikki Giovanni. Very, very free for a long time. Do you remember when you woke up and you're like, I don't owe anybody anything and I can say and do whatever I want. I'm free. Uh, It's on the back, actually, of this book, because my parents had a troubled marriage. And if you would ask me, and I don't mind admitting it, I'm sorry, but I don't mind admitting it. If you ask me, what what were you doing at 11 o'clock on Saturday? I could tell you easily. I was listening to my father hit my mother. And it was one of those that it it hit you. It finally dawned on me. If I let this control me, I'm going to be an unhappy person. So it was clear that I needed to get away from them. Their marriage had nothing to do with me. And once I realized that, I'm free. So I I, I went to my grandmother. I think grandmothers are so important. And my, my godmother died. And I went down to my, my grand, and I say down because I was in Cincinnati. And I went to my grandmother, and I, I was there for like a week or so, and I finally said to grandmother, you know, is it okay if I, if I stay with you? Can I, can I stay here? And grandmother, which I always love the grandmother, well, I'll have to ask John Brown. Well, I finally got old enough to know she didn't have to ask John Brown, my grandfather. She didn't have to ask him Dilly Swat. But their love and their relationship, the way that they, what I know, and that's why I dedicated this book to them. What I know about love, I learned in watching them and how they treat each other. How they, after all of those years, because I was, I was 14 years old when that, that, that happened. So you can imagine how long they had been. Their, their daughters, they had three daughters. Their daughters were grown and married. After all those years, they were still loving. They still cared about each other. And grandmother smoked, but grandpapa didn't. And after dinner, they would sit on the porch. And I wrote a poem about that, too. It's called Silence, In Silence. They would sit on the front porch. And on, on the front porch, grandmother would smoke her cigarette. And people would walk by the house. Uh, they called, speaking of professor, and they'd say, you know, evening, Professor Watson. And he'd say evening, and if there was something to be said. And I thought, and, and then they would be quiet again. And I thought, how can, how can you sit on the porch and be quiet? And then I, I finally knew that's love, that, that you have that much faith in each other. 
all you need is each other. You don't need to show show off. You don't need anything but each other. And and they did. And I was just so fortunate to be able to be not just loved by them, but to be able to watch what love meant. And this is how you treat each other. This is what you this is what you do. It it uh, it, it was very fortunate. You said when to I be free. I think I was free to get there, but I know that learning what love is, I learned from them. And that was that was just a very, very precious thing for me. Professor, I can't help but notice just a lightness to everything that you brought, even though we're talking about some pretty gravely serious things. In your life, how have you persevered, or what has been your mindset to kind of create that lightness and that air and that flow in your life that has now brought you to here? I've never heard someone say they want to basically snuggle with COVID if it comes. And so, <laughs> well, Offer it some coffee. What? <laughs> Yeah. You can't fight everything. I have a dear, dear friend, Ashley Bryant, whom you probably know, the illustrator. And Ashley uh, had an he's in Houston now. Had an involvement with 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 COVID, and it bothered me. He's ninety five years old, so everybody said, you know, oh, Ashley has the has the COVID, and and I don't know if he's going to make it. I decided, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to try. I'm going to make a book, and what I had was Ashley because he likes to draw um, uh, flowers. And I have, and I can't draw, by the way. So I have this man, you can see him sitting outside and he's drawing flowers. And a, 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 a fairy comes down and she's the COVID. She is the, the, the COVID. And she sees him painting. And it so enchants her that she kisses him. And she kisses him because she wants to know she, she's enchanted. It's love. But she didn't realize when she kissed him that her kiss could be dangerous to him. And then he had to go and had to go to the hospital. So now she had to look down and say, I didn't want to do that. I just wanted to say, I love you. And so she says, I have to leave. And that's what it, that's where it is. So she, she looks at him. He's in the hospital now. And she said, I'm so sorry. I just wanted you to know that I love you, but I'm going to leave now. And, and I have to go away. And I'm so sorry. And she takes, she goes away. Well, Ashley's still alive. He's still, he's still doing fine. I said, well, the little fairy, you know, just fell in love with you. And I don't blame her. If I saw you, I would fall in love with you. And, and, and why wouldn't, why wouldn't you? Why can't we find something? Now, the fairy could have said, well, I want you and I'm going to take you with me. I'm, I'm a virus and I can take what I want. But she said, I just wanted to kiss you. I, I didn't realize that I would hurt you with my kiss. And so he's all right. He's, he's doing all right. And so she, he had to laugh. He, I said, well, did you, he, he can draw. I mean, that's what he does. And I said, well, I know that I don't draw as well, but I said, but the fairy and I were having a discussion and she told me she had kissed you and she didn't mean to hurt you. And he said, I know he, he talks, he's a sub. Oh, darling, I know that. And I said, she didn't. And she wanted you to get well. And you have, but she has. He's 95 Respect. years old. God bless the perspective uh, that you have. Can we take a call or two? Uh, people want to talk to you, Nikki Giovanni. Do you mind? Certainly. No. Okay. I, let, all right. Let's head over to Georgia and welcome in Lee. Lee, you're on with the great Nikki Giovanni. Cena's here as well. Cena Gaznavi. Hey, Lee. Oh, my God. Karen, thank you so much. I just love you for having this, all right, this iconic living 
human being, Amansa Asam, Mr. Nick Giovanni, um, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. Um, oh my goodness, I'm, i got to collect myself. So, I listened, I binged on the conversation that you had with James Baldwin. I, I, listened, I binged on that. I told so many of my friends to listen to that conversation. And hearing your perspective on how we perceive as black men in relationship to our women, that conversation, I mean, my father, I understood now clearly through that conversation what uh, James Bone was saying about black men, because it made me understand my father's position, and I understand your position and how we are supposed to proceed daily with our relationship with our black women. And that opened me up so much. And I want to thank you for for your steadfast um, uh, perspective on that and your insight. I still live by that right now. But it, it took so many years for me to, to see that perspective. And I just want to say thank you. I just love the fact that you're still alive and you're still with us. And... Um, and thank you, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. I mean, so much so I had a, <laughs> I had a sculptor, sculpt uh, a paint a, a sculpture of you and James Baldwin. I'm picking it up. <laughs> I'm picking it up on Saturday. Wow. So. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And I, let you. me just yeah, Lee. Let me say that conversation was one of the most powerful. I'm going to actually tweet out the hour long conversation that you had with James Baldwin. Can you and and I totally forgot i was so enraptured with you know, i was like nikki giovanni's here thank you for this is why this family is so important we fill in each other's blanks you ask questions i can't even remember and i'm glad that he brought that up tell us because james baldwin's words have been used in lovecraft country they have been used for this period they are prophetic oh, yeah. but that chemistry that you guys have and that banging up against each other that iron sharpening iron was such a powerful conversation what precipitated it and what came out of it there was a, 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 a television show called soul and ellis hazlip was the producer of soul and now there's a, a movie and it uh, not a movie what do you call it documentary and i worked with uh ellis was trying to figure out when he started it he needed um a host and so he thought, he came up, I lived on Amsterdam Avenue, and he came up to, to, to see me, said, you know, we like to talk. He said, I'd like for you to host Soul. And I said, no, I, I can't. Uh, that's just not the kind of thing that I do. And you have to know what you can and can't do. And I said, Ellis, you should host it. And he said, oh, I don't think I could do it because he had a bit of a speech impediment, you know, I don't think so. So he asked uh, um, a Harvard professor, I forget his name right now, to do it. But Soul was not about Harvard. Not, not that there was anything wrong with that. But the first couple of shows were not working. So he came back up. We were talking. And he said, Nick, it's not working. I think you have to do it. And I said, Ellis, this is your show. And anything that's yours, you have to own it. And he mm-hmm. said, well, you know, I'm gay. And I said, what's I got to do <laughs> with, with Soul? What's I got to do with the television? He said, well, nobody will want to be on it. I said, it's television. Everybody will want to be on it. Don't even, don't even think about it. You know, let's do it. So he decided, okay, I'm going to have to do it. And he was really good because one, he was smart and he knew everybody and who he didn't know, I knew. So we worked together. I didn't work for, for soul because there are things that you do and, and there's money involved and you get paid 
And then there are things that you do that, you know, you should just be there, that, that the answer is yes, and you should just be there. So we worked for the whole year, and the, the, the show did, did really well. At the end of the year, Ellis said to me, you know, said, Nick, I owe you. I said, yeah, that's true. You do. <laughs> I helped you get Muhammad Ali, who was a friend, Louis Farrakhan, you know, some people that he would have thought he wouldn't get. I said, yeah, you do. And he said, well, what would you like? And everybody knows I'm a foodie. So he was thinking, oh, I'll take her to a great restaurant and we'll spend a bunch of money and, you know, it'd be great. He said, well, what would you like? And I said, I would, I would love to talk to James Baldwin. And he just went, oh, really? He said, I know Jimmy. I said, do you? He said, yes, let me call him. And a couple of days later, he called. He said, Mr. Baldwin, he called him Jimmy. He said, Jimmy would be happy to talk with you. The thing is, Jimmy lived in, in uh, Point of uh, uh, de France. He, he was in, in, in France. And he said, the thing is, Jimmy can't come home. He doesn't have time to come home. He's working on some things. And I said, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. He said, but he'll come to London. He can come to London because that's hop, skip, and a jump. I said, I would walk to London to talk to James Baldwin. And so we went over. That, that's how this thing got. Wow. And we got over, and it was filmed in London. And you can see as you watch it sometimes, you can see the difference between what the Brits do and how they look at things and what the Americans do, because Jimmy and I both talk with our hands. So there was a lot of a lot of that going on. We shot it in uh, two days. It was really a wonderful, wonderful thing to do. And, you know, he's James Baldwin and I'm not. But I was 27. So he's 20 years older. And it's really been interesting because I was talking earlier about um about Ashley Bryan, and I'm now 77, and he's almost 20 years older. And I recently did a, a, a talk show with Rhapsody, and I am mm. 20 years older than Rhapsody. So it's been interesting to, to get these um, uh, generations going. But I wanted to talk, because Jimmy said, you don't understand black men. And I said, no, I, and I don't. I, I don't. But I do understand black women. And I know that what we have done. We get up before dawn to cook dinner. Let's let's look let's look at slavery. Black women got up before light to put dinner. I'm not talking breakfast, to put dinner on so that when light came, she could have dinner for her family, whatever they were having, usually grits or something on that lake. Have dinner for her family. They had to go out into the field and work. Some of the slaves worked in the in the in the, the house, but most of them they're going to work in the fields, whatever it is they're doing, and then they're going to come home when it gets to be dark. And so her, she didn't have to say job, but it wasn't. She wanted her family to have a hot meal, so she had been she put something on that would cook all day. Now I am a pretty good cook, but I am definitely. Uh, a, a freak would be the best word for anything that I can cook all day. I can put a pot roast on anything I can cook all day. And I know that that's someplace in my heart that I don't even know why, but I watched my grandmother get up at dawn and cook and put something on, not to cook. I should say she put something on so that grandpa and I, I was going to school. Grandpa was teaching so that grandpa and I, when we came home would have a hot meal. That's a wonderful thing. And no matter what she cooked, Grandpapa and I both knew that the answer to all of it was, this is delicious. It's never been better. It didn't matter what we thought about it. 
because nobody cared what we thought about it. She had done it. So we're talking about James Baldwin, and I'm saying to Jimmy, you don't understand what we've done to try to keep this thing to make sense out of it. You have to be a man for us. You don't have to be a man for for the people who hate you. You have to be a man for the people who love you. That, 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 it, it's that simple. And you'll see, if you ever look at that, Joe, that was, you, you'll see Jimmy's face went, you know, he, he was, I, I think nobody ever said that like that to him. He was surprised. It was like, hadn't thought, I mean, he hadn't thought about that in that way. You have to make up your mind. And I know everybody thinks, you know, uh, I grew up in a Christian, I'm a Christian. I grew up in Baptist church and my mother was AME. And everybody thinks Jesus loved everybody, but he didn't. If, if you ever, you know, you read, read your own Bible. Don't be having somebody read it to you. Jesus didn't love everybody. He, he, he didn't love the people in the temple who were, who were wasting money. He didn't. He didn't love everybody. He told Satan, what, get thee behind me. He left a lot of people. He, he didn't try to understand Judas. Jesus loved the people who loved him. So we have John, the beloved disciple. Don't we? we? We have the people who loved Jesus because who was there on the cross at the bottom of the cross? His mother, Mary, and the beloved disciple. The rest of them people standing around talking about, oh, yeah, yo, yeah, Jesus, you my man. I'm with you. They're all gone. We don't know him. They don't, oh, no. Judas sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. Simon Peter said, I don't know him. Everybody did. It was John. And Jesus said to John, you know, take care of my mother. And so that's something that we all do. And it's something we still, if you know a black woman, if her mother's alive, she's taking care of her. And it, it, there's just some things that are just so wonderful about our people. And I just think we're letting people take our history away from us, that we don't want to yes. sit down and just go through it. Just who are we? We are, we are great people. And they are a footnote to our history, not the other way around. Let me thank you, and that's Dr. Carr saying that. Uh, the one and only, the incomparable Nikki Giovanni. Her new collection of poems is Make Me Rain. We're going to tweet out a link. You should get it. It's amazing. She's amazing. Please continue to come back. You always have an open seat here. Please come back. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Yes. Nikki Giovanni, y'all.